0: kids at this time can go into the car bay you can have a seat relax your kids will get an oil change and a bible lesson they really won't get an oil change but if we could teach them to change your oil that would be a win right then your kids i look forward to the day when my kids add as much value as they take away from you know we're not there yet. They cost a lot more than they earn at this point. So, uh, Has anybody reached that with children? Nobody? Nobody? Okay. I think my parents are still not there. So um, uh, so we're in a conversation. Where would my eraser go? There we are. We're in a conversation about the gospel, asking a question, why is it so good? If gospel means good news, which it does, uh, the actual word gospel Means good news. Uh, In our context, we're talking about the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. That Jesus was the Son of God uh, who was born, as John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus was born, the Son of God, lived a sinless life, and he died a sinner's death. He didn't deserve it. You and I deserve it because the wages of sin is death, but he died in our place. Uh, And as Shelly was talking with the kids last week, and she's like, it was profound talking to, I think it was Elle maybe, and says, why did Jesus die for us? And the simple answer was so that we could live, right? His death and resurrection means that we don't have to die and we can live. We look forward to that. We know, if we know the gospel, we know that that means eternal. There's two categories that we're going to look at. Uh, So eternal life But then we've also got everyday life. Those are the two categories of life that I want us to begin to think in. Somebody doesn't like changing the oil. Uh, That's my kid. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple stories that are kind of weighty this morning, so I want to start off with something a little less weighty, maybe another dad joke, and then we'll go straight into the weighty. Uh, So... My stories are not really lighthearted and feel good this morning, so I don't want to completely be a downer. Um, So Micah told me a joke the other day, and I'm going to tell her. Well, actually, she didn't tell. I think I heard it from you, but then you forgot where it came from. What's your joke? Why did the toilet paper not... Oh, that's Mama's joke. Why did the toilet paper not cross the street? It got stuck in a crack, Yeah. right. those of you that don't get that, you'll get it later. I don't know where I heard this one. Maybe it was Laffy Taffy, but how do you get a Kleenex to dance? Put a little boogie in it, put a little boogie in it, right? All right. So now that you're all smiling, let me get to our serious stories. Um, so here's, here's, uh, here's a real life ransom note. So uh, back in 1997, uh, if I showed you a picture of the girl that that this was concerning, you would probably recognize her. But listen closely as I read this real-life legitimate ransom note. It says this, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign fraction. We respect your business, but not the country it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you, want to, if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on the delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we can call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money, and hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation from the instructions will result in immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about the situation, such as the FBI, will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert the authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are in constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It's up to you now. Real-life ransom note to real-life parents concerning a real-life daughter. So let me ask you this. If you're new to us, we discuss a lot. So if you don't like talking, you can listen to others talk. Um, But I don't like asking questions that don't get answered, so I like doing that stare-down until somebody answers. So real-life question here. Imagine receiving such a note. What would your response be to receiving such a note? Fear. I mean, can you even fathom the f- the fear that comes with this type of notes? What would your response be? Huh? Panic. Panic. Anger. anger. Yeah. It's that, like it's that mix between fear and anger that just leaves you panicking anything else what would your response be to getting this this note let me just give flip side of that question imagine being the subject of the note. you're the daughter what response would you hope for when somebody else got the note compliance do everything they say, please. What else? I mean, it's it, it's a helpless feeling to sit on that subject side and and just trust number one that the people who have me will do what they've said. Number two, that somebody will comply and this will go without a hitch. My only hope is in somebody else fulfilling their end of this bargain because there's absolutely nothing she could do at this time. And the fear and the anxiety and the panic goes through this. But I, keep that feeling in mind, keep that in your heart. And I'm going to, our whole discussion's out of Ephesians chapter one for a number of weeks. Ephesians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, a church that he helped start, a group of people that he loved, and he just sent them a letter to instruct them. And here he says in chapter 1, verse 7, In him, being Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. One more time. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. There's a word that Paul says right there. We have redemption. In Jesus, we have redemption through what? Through his blood. Blood. But redemption, Paul, the word that Paul's using Uh, For redemption is ransom. It's the same thing. In Jesus, we have been ransomed by his blood. His blood is the ransom cost. It is the price that was paid to set me free from the one who had enslaved me. His blood is the ransom. It is the price. It is $118,000 in special non-marked bills that are being requested in order for me to be released. His blood is the ransom that sets us free. It's the exact same concept that Paul's talking about right there. It is literally buying back what was previously lost. His blood purchases us back for himself. It's our ransom. But the question is, or the question that I asked is, who or what are we imprisoned to? What must we actually be released from? If his blood is a ransom that purchases us, he buys us back, what or who is he buying us back from? It's a natural question. I want us to read Ephesians chapter 2, the first few verses. And then, so as we read this, I want you to pay attention because I'm going to ask you what he has bought us back from. Chapter two, verse one, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of air, the spirit now working in the disobedience. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You have been saved by grace. So in the first few verses, he gives us a few things that we were ransomed from. We were purchased, bought back from. What are those things that Paul's laying out in the first few verses of Ephesians 2? Death. Death. He says, we were dead. Okay, so we have been bought back from death. What else? We were dead in our sin. sin. We have been purchased back from our sin. We were once enslaved, bonded, captured, taken over by sin and death. Who were we following? Who does he say we were following in that? Satan. The spirit of the air. The one who's over this world. Uh... And he says that we, he actually kind of gives us the idea that we have this blind allegiance to Satan. That's what Paul actually is spelling out. He's like, you're just following him blindly, thinking that you're doing well. You have been captured by the deception of Satan, and he has you. And he said, my blood blood buys you back. From that allegiance. He says, You were by nature children under what? Wrath. Wrath. We have been purchased back out from underneath the wrath of God. And the last one, you would have to kind of read into it. We were slaves to sensuality. Sensuality. He says, you simply do what feels right, what, what seems good, right? Uh, in in v- chapter two, he says it like this. He says, we were previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts. Your whole life was defined by my thoughts and my feelings. Whatever you sense is correct, You do. You have no way. So uh, imagine being blindfolded. And in your blindfolded state, or if we turned all the lights off and had the ability to make it pitch black in here, you operate by feel. That feels right. That seems right. It it feels like it would be okay to do this. But you're completely blind. It's completely sensuality, operating in the senses, the physical senses that you have. He says, He ransomed you from that way of life. You no longer have to live by what feels right, Because your feelings are a liar. They're deceptive. And he bought you back from that. Okay? So here's what we have been ransomed from. Uh, But he does it with his blood. He does it with his blood. Death has always been the price for sin. Always. Death has always been the price or the ransom for sin, and blood has always been that ransom. Blood. I mean, this is not new with Jesus. I used to be a kid when I was Shaw's age, and I'd be like, why does Jesus bleeding and dying, spilling his blood, why does that equal forgiveness? Well, it's always equaled forgiveness. Since the beginning of time, and not just with Judaism and Christianity, religions have always had sacrificial system. It's always been the way to be freed from the guilt of sin. This did not begin with Jesus. Jesus put an end to it. He was the one that said one sacrifice to put an end to all sacrifice. So every other goat, lamb, dove that was slain for the cause of sin, Jesus said, I am the final one that is necessary. I ransom everybody with my blood. No more sacrifice needed. So death and the blood has always been the ransom for sin. Ah. so here's the here's thing. We're, we're starting out in the eternal realm here. Many of you have believed this message and received eternal life, right? So all who would believe in him would receive eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would receive eternal life. But then he goes on to say, but those who have not believed are already condemned. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn you. Jesus didn't come to make you feel bad. He came to set you free. And that comes through faith in Christ. And many of us have believed that. Many more of us will believe that. And we are starting this church so that many more could believe that, right? That's that's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose. But here's the question, the shifting gears, many of us have received eternal life, but what are the implications of this message for everyday life? And I think that's where the train of thought breaks down for a lot of us. I think it's like you have been ransomed. Ransomed. That's a good eternal life message, but what about everyday life? What's the implications? And I believe that every layer of the gospel has implications for everyday life. Concerning everyday life, we're going to stretch you here over the next few moments. We're going to stretch you in your thought processes, and we're going to stretch you maybe a little bit internally about how you wrestle with this. So here's the question. Was Paul exaggerating here? Was Paul exaggerating when he said, Mike, you were dead in your trespassing sin? You were dead, but Christ made you alive. Was that an exaggeration trying to get a point across, trying to be dramatic? Were you really? giving your allegiance to Satan. Is that an over-exaggeration? Trying to make a point, trying to prove something? I mean, is our condition really that gloomy before Christ? I mean, did anybody, let's go, let's go. Somebody may actually raise their hand in this, and that's okay, you got freedom to do that. Did anybody vocalize allegiance to Satan before you gave it to Jesus? I worship the devil. Anybody? I mean, I, I know people that have, right? I used to live in North Little Rock, and there was, uh, this was back before the whole area was built up. Interesting story. This is not in my notes. This is free for you. Uh, but down the street from where I lived, there was devil's heel. And there was always animal sacrifices left on the heel, right? I'm talking half a mile from where I live. They sacrificed animals, cats, dogs, everything. They left their mark regularly. Now they had allegiance to Satan. Surely I'm not in the same scenario as them, right? I, I, want to, I want to read another story to you to maybe hopefully clarify the question. Was Paul exaggerating or was this accurate? A lady named Barbara, a lady named Barbara. Uh, this comes from, if you've ever watched the TED Talks that you can find on YouTube or on podcasts. Uh, this was a lady that shared on one of the TED Talks. Barbara says, I was 15 years old. Fifteen years old, I was alone, confused, sad, and addicted to heroin on the streets of New York City. Sad, alone, addicted to heroin on the streets of New York. The sirens began to sound, and me and a group of girls began to run. But we're not fast enough, so we are caught and we are cuffed and taken to the station. When we went to court, they sentenced us to prison. I was fearful of being in prison. I'd heard stories about this prison, and and it it made me fearful. So I break the programming done to my mind, and I tell my jailer this. My name is Barbara. I'm I'm not 21 years old, but I'm 15, and I'm from Virginia. I just want to go back home. The jailer believes her, and they say, We have found your family and they are coming to pick you up. She is relieved. She is scared. She doesn't know what she's going to say to her parents, whom she ran away from three years ago. Entering the room where her family is supposed to be, I do not see my parents, but I see my trafficker, and I have no idea how this has happened. I see my trafficker. Traffickers, people that traffic humans, prey on vulnerability, she says. She says, I was 12 years old. She said they they prey on 12-year-old runaways and 35-year-old men trying to provide for their family. The summer I turned 12, I ran away from my Virginia home and went to DC after being abused and nobody believing me. I was abused in my home and nobody would believe me, so I ran away at 12 years old. I encountered a young woman on the street who said she wanted to help me. She understood how I felt. So I went back to her apartment, and sadly, her recruiter was there. They took me in and sold me to a trafficker in New York. I remember the exchange of money and the traveling to New York City. He programmed my young mind. He knew how to make a commodity out of a human being. I always got asked, why don't you just leave? Well, he knew how to create what is called a trauma bond with me. It's when you become loyal to a person who's destructive to you. They know how to manipulate the relationship. I became addicted to heroin, but it saved my life as it helped me to become numb to the events after 10 years. One day, I finally escaped New York. Now I've returned to New York to vacate my criminal records. Even though I was the victim, I was a criminal. Even though I was a victim, I was charged as a criminal. Laws state that you cannot have sex with an underage child. But when there's money on the table, the child becomes a criminal and the rapist goes free. Because of prostitution laws. In 2012, I had an epiphany as I watched a commercial about traffic teens in my neighborhood. I watched a commercial about traffic teens in my neighborhood and it finally hit me. That's what happened to me. I finally understood what had happened to me. So taking Paul's statement as an exaggeration is the same as seeing Barbara on the street corner and thinking that police should take care of that problem. You need to do something about those girls that hang out on the corner, ruining our city. They're the problem but not realizing they're slaves to traffickers who have complete control of their life, just as we are slaves to sin and it has complete control of our life. Taking Paul's statements as an exaggeration is like thinking Barbara should enter into should, uh, is, is like thinking that she chose to enter a relationship with her trafficker. Why would she do that? Why would she stay Not realizing that she was lured by empty lies in her own vulnerability. Because the trafficker preys on her vulnerability and tells her things that are not true. Lies of self preservation and pleasure, the same way that we are lured by one who promises self preservation and pleasure through our senses that sensuality that we got lured into because it made false promises. Taking his statement as an exaggeration is like seeing her story incorrectly. Barbara becomes a criminal when she's really a victim. Just like we criminalize others who are victims of spiritual warfare and deception. We look around and say, how awful are they? What are Horrific choices they're making. How could they be so foolish when they're actually victims of warfare and deception and they don't know what they're doing? So I don't think Paul is exaggerating one bit. I think he meant what he said, and I think it's true, that we have been ransomed, we've been bought back, purchased, from the evil one. We've been purchased from death and made alive, set free from sin and allowed to live no longer under the wrath of God, but we've become children of God, his beloved, no longer bound to sensuality, but able to walk by the truth with complete sight, knowing what we're doing and what God has said. We're set free from all that. He's ransomed us with his blood. So what's the good news in everyday life from ephesians 1 7 i got some questions for you so we can identify the good news question one how do you cope with your past poor decisions how do you cope with the decisions you made in the past that were not good your poor decisions how do we cope with those When you reflect on all the choices you made and all the consequences they've had, how do we cope with those? How do we move on? How do we, how do we view ourselves in the mirror when we think about these things? You remember you're not the same person? Okay. So you, you, sometimes we find hope in Christ that he's made us new. We're a new creation Not the old man I was? How do you cope with your past poor decisions? Pray. 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 Okay. Okay. Open up the scripture. See that God has said you are free. Find your new identity in Christ. But how many of us wrestle with looking in the mirror and, and believing that our guilt is the only sacrifice for our poor decisions? We look at it and say, how stupid am I? Why could I do that? And we, we, we think that we have to punish ourselves because we've made bad decisions. Anybody wrestle with that? Right. We know that Jesus says we're free, or maybe we've heard that, but then we, our coping mechanism is, is actually a guilt. That we lay on ourselves or frustration with ourselves. That's difficult. Question two What is your response to the poor decisions of others? Okay, other people's poor decisions can cause stress and trust. And tru- oh, trust. Yeah, trust. Okay, so because of what they've done, I no longer trust them. They can't be trusted. So what do we do if we have trust issues? We stay away? I had a guy tell me one time, he's like, I forgave them. I just don't want anything to do with them. I'm like, dude, that's not forgiveness. <laughs> I don't know what dictionary you're operating out of, but that's not necessarily forgiveness. What else? How do you deal with the poor decisions of others? Okay? Look down on them. How? Yeah. Angry, Angry, disappointed. Frustration, lack of trust. I'm up here, you're down here. Isn't that I mean, we can't look down on somebody without thinking we're elevated. It's amazing how quick that happens. Right? So, so here's the good news. The gospel is good not only because he he paid the price for these choices, right? He ransomed us from everything we just talked about, our poor choices, our our slavery to those things. The gospel is good not just because he paid the price for those, but he, he explains why they happened. And with understanding, we no longer demand others or ourselves to suffer because Christ suffered in our place. The good news is this you can look in the mirror and quit thinking you need to suffer for the choices you make. You need to we can look in the mirror and quit beating ourselves up because we once operated under slavery and the dominion of the evil one and dead in our sins. Constantly feeling our way through life, and when we feel our way through life, we kick our shins and we stump our toes, and we 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 get angry at ourselves, and we think, "Man, I was so foolish to do that." Well, well, Christ suffered for that, so we don't have to make ourselves continually suffer over and over. We don't have to lay a guilt trip on ourselves because our guilt was laid on Jesus, who died in our place. Now, the same thing goes for my neighbor, my friend, my coworker who makes poor choices. I don't have to look down on them. I don't have to get frustrated and irritated and cause them to pay for their poor decisions. Why? Because Jesus paid for their decisions. He suffered, so I don't have to cause them to suffer. Well, you did this, so I'm going to do this. No, because Jesus did that. I'm no longer free. I mean, I'm no longer a slave to making them pay the price for those things but what does that look like if we no longer cause them to pay the price for that, right? What's the the other option? I'm now free to love them as the Father has loved me. That while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. While you were yet sinners, He paid the ultimate ransom for you. That in your hopelessness, your helplessness, your The the fact that God couldn't trust you, if he was anybody else, he wouldn't like you. He ransomed you. So if I don't have to make others suffer for their choices, I'm free to love them as the fathers loved me. I can do that now. The second thing is if I'm not consumed with causing myself to suffer or others to suffer for their wrongs, I'm now set free to serve them as our Savior Jesus has served us. See, loving somebody is simply just being for them. I don't look down on you. I don't hold it against you. I'm for you. I want to see you win. I want to see you win, right? It's not looking down. on It's not frustration. It's I want to see you win, That's what it means to love somebody. But to serve somebody means to get your hands and your feet engaged in their life. And we're free to love them and to serve them as Christ has served us. Which leads to our last point right here. One more question for you. Why do you struggle to allow others to serve you? Why do you struggle to allow other people to serve you? Don't say you don't. Mark, I'm mean, going to get on. We're going to talk about this here. So you're not the only one. Stephen, right? Why do we struggle to let other people serve us? Proud. We don't view them as family. Right? Here, real life story. Real life story. I'm calling Stephen out right now. Calling Stephen out right now. We talk a lot about being a family here at Salt County. We want to live everyday life like a family who loves each other like the Father loves us and we serve each other like our brother Jesus serves us. Now, here's real-life story. Stephen's got a legit need. His car's broke. He can't roll his window up or down. He comes to me with plastic and tape on his window. He drives his car for a living every day. He goes to the bank and can't roll his window down because it's plastic and tape. And I'm like, let me help you fix your car. No, no, I, I, no, no, I can't let you do that. Why can you not let me do that? I finally got him to come over to the house and we, we, we took the tape and the plastic off and we took the panels off. We raised his window up so when it's 178 degrees outside, you're not sweating like crazy. And we, we sealed it shut and we, I'm like, we want to buy a $50 part to fix your car. And he said, nope, you're not buying a $50 part. Now we all know that we're in here three weeks ago that he is stressed about money and we're praying over him, praying for freedom and all those things. And then me and my wife say, we want to buy a $50 part for your car. And I can't let you do that. My dad said, he's going to help me out. I'm like, all right, well, if your dad doesn't help you out, you better let me know so we can buy this $50 part for you. You know what? His dad's like, no, I thought it was going to be like 300. So you're cool, dude. You can handle it. I texted Stephen a few days later and I said, did you order the part? Because we were going to prime it and have it in two days and you'd be zipping around town like the king of Chevy world. And I'm like, did you get that part? And you know what he did? He didn't even answer my text. <laughs> didn't even answer my text. And he came to my house that night. And I'm like, dude, you didn't answer my text. He's like, yeah, I know. Cause you were going to buy that part if I did. I'm like, you didn't get the part? He's like, no, I didn't get the part. We're going to order it after our next pay period. I'm like, you're so full of crap. Dude, do you believe we're family? He's like, yeah. I'm like, no, you don't. Because you let your dad pay for the part, but you won't let me pay for the part. You don't believe we're family yet. You won't let me serve you like a, a brother. You won't let me serve you like family. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. So while we're talking, I got on Amazon and I bought the part. And then Shelly, we're like ending our time together that night. She's like, what are we going to do about the part? I'm like, it'll be here in two days. I ordered it an hour ago. (laughs) He's like, man, we should do that. And then like we come, we fix the part. It takes like 30 minutes. It's no big deal. And Steven's like, man, thanks, dude. I do this. What family does. We serve each other, but it's hard to let each other serve each other. It's easy to serve others because Tony hit on it because I can be above them in that moment. It takes zero faith to be the one that serves. It takes an incredible amount of faith to humble yourself and let others serve you. Right. We've had this backwards. Like the church needs to be the one that serves. Well, I don't think it takes a lot of faith to have the upper hand on somebody. It takes a lot of faith to humble yourself and let others in and serve you. It it, it requires you understanding the gospel. Before you allow others in to serve you, because if you don't get to the point where I am completely helpless, dead in sin, blind under Satan, a child of wrath and and, and bound to sensuality. But one who is named Jesus came and did something on my behalf. He served me. He did what I couldn't do. He paid the price for all that stuff over there that I was stuck in. And he served me and I received it and I believed it and I allowed it. But if we don't understand this, it begins to flesh out in things like this. And I'm not saying Stephen doesn't believe this. I'm saying we just all have unbelief that's left in us. Right? I can believe it for eternal life, but when you want me to believe it for everyday life, that's a challenge. If I believe it for eternal life, Jesus does something on my behalf. In everyday life, your brother does something on your behalf, and you need to allow it. It doesn't take any faith for you to serve others. It takes a lot of faith for you to allow others to serve you. Now, Mark, I'm going to call you out for a second, too, because Mark, and this one's almost funnier, because here's Mark, a neighbor, and he's like, dude, I want to make a flower bed over here. I'm like, that's cool, man. Let me go get the tractor. And then, No, I don't want you to go get the tractor. I'm like, dude, we could have it done in an hour. Yeah, but I'll take care of it. I asked you a question over pizza at lunch. I said, do you want a project or do you want a flower bed? Right? Do you want a project? Do you want something to chain you for the next two years while you don't have anything done and you don't get to enjoy your flower bed? Or do you want a flower bed so you can sit on the front porch and have freedom? Right? No, man, you don't need to do that. I'll I'll take care of it. Right? And then we cleaned up the stuff and you gave me poison ivy. Thanks for that. Uh, I served you because I got poison ivy. Um, I didn't tell you because I knew you'd feel guilty about it. But anyway, um, and then he's like, we're going to order dirt. And this was where it got funny for me. I'm going to order a dump truck full of dirt. He's like, I'll, I said, I'll bring the tractor back. He's like, no, man, I got a shovel. I'm like, dude, have you ever shoveled a dump truck full of dirt? He said, like, man, I got it. It won't be that big a deal. I'm like, I shoveled a dump truck full of dirt the other day. It was a big deal, brother." right? But it's a struggle to allow others to serve us. We shoveled your dirt with a, sh- with a tractor in about 30 minutes. And he was back enjoying his kids and his family. Set you free by allowing somebody to do something on your behalf. Now you can't be set free in the gospel until you allow Jesus to do something on your behalf, but you can't be set free in daily life until you allow his family to do something on your behalf. That's how we operate. And I wish Josh was here because I call him out too. Working on that property right now, that I begged, let us help you with. No man, I, I can't let others do things that I can do. But you're tied up on a Sunday, dude. Let your family help you. When we started this journey, I thought it would be hard for us to get into the community and serve each other. I did not think it would be hard for us to let our guard down and let others serve us. I had this backwards. I've learned a lot in the last 10 months. The most difficult thing in church community today is us serving each other because we're so proud we won't let the other one in. Now, I'm talking about dirt piles and I'm talking about properties and windows in your car, but I want you to know that those surface issues create deeper issues because we have deeper issues that we're not letting others touch either. I don't really care about your dirt pile. Your dirt pile is a metaphor for your heart. Your, your car window is an illustration of your soul. You're not letting others touch the deeper things in your life. And I know that for a fact because you're not letting others touch the surface things in your life. And if I can't touch your dirt pile, no wonder you'll let your marriage die before you tell me you're struggling. No wonder you'll let your wife be enslaved by anything and everything before you ask the church to lay hands and pray on it. No wonder you'll go unemployed and, and be anxious and become a slave to your vulnerability before you allow us to help you find a job and to thrive in your life. See, We have surface issues that I see every day. You won't let me move your dirt, but we got deeper issues that you won't let me touch your heart and your soul. And many of us are dying because we won't let somebody else do something on our behalf. I don't care about your dirt, but I care about your heart, and I care about your soul. And if we don't let others in... We're all going to crumble and we're going to look back and say, what happened to him? I don't know where he went. He was dying inside. That's what happened to him. He was dying. So the gospel is good. Because our surface and our deepest needs can now be served by the family. Gospel's good. Everyday life. The gospel is good, not just for your eternity. The message of Jesus is good because number one, you can look in the mirror and stop beating yourself up. You can look at your neighbor and stop punishing them for their decisions. Jesus was punished for them. Number two, the gospel is good because we serve each other's surface needs and our deepest needs. You are now set free to become vulnerable and allow others to come in and do something on your behalf. You can Quit pulling up your bootstraps. You can quit putting on a front. You can quit dressing up and smiling for everybody. And you can let others do something on your behalf. You are free to do that without condemnation, without fear, without punishment, without anybody looking down on you. You are free because we understand that we are all slaves to sin, dead in our trespasses, struggling to follow what God has so visibly made clear because we just fail our way through life. We understand this so you're free from hiding it and you can let others serve it. You can do it. This is good news. Let somebody else do something on your behalf. If it's moving a dirt pile, let me do it. But if it's moving your marriage down the road, let's do that. If it's being set free from anxiety and depression, let's do that. Let's pray for one another. Let's confess to one another. Let's listen to one another. I'm going to end with a story about our family, and we'll be done. And then we'll eat lunch. Shelly and I, when we started this journey, uh, we entered into uh, a realm of spiritual things that we've never entered into. Right? Um, we, we entered into... what. We believe a spiritual warfare like we've never encountered. Uh, and uh, one week after we moved by faith and announced that we're going to start this journey, uh, then my wife is overcome with fear and anxiety and depression like we've never seen, caused by something that was completely nothing. But, but all this moves in, and for a while we try to, to wrestle with it in the house, right? Because we live in a culture where you can't confess that I am depressed and completely paralyzed by anxiety then people will think you're jacked up and weak. But eventually we like, we get to the point, I have to open up to somebody else in our, our spiritual family. And we find a woman that we love and loves us. And we, we were able to talk to her these things about. And she was able to give us like legitimate gospel good news counsel and help and direct us to somebody that could take us further. And I don't say this to... Um, talk about the anxiety or the things we've gone through. But let let me say this. Me and my wife over the last year have been to a counselor consistently on a weekly basis. She goes alone sometimes and I come with her sometimes. Because I can allow somebody and she can allow somebody to do something on her behalf because the gospel says so. I'm allowed to tell you that. Right, I don't have to stand up here and act like, if you want a family like mine, do what I say. Because my family sees the counselor. My family's paralyzed by anxiety. But my family also prays over one another to be set free. My family also confesses to one another that we might let others carry our burdens and speak the gospel to us, that so we can move on down the road and not be defined by these things. The gospel says, let somebody else do something on your behalf. Let them serve you. Let them serve you. It doesn't make you weaker because in your weakness, the power of God's made perfect. And you think God is weak right now because you think you need to be strong. And as long as you think you need to be strong, God will always be weak. But once you say, it's okay for me to be weak, the power of Christ will rest upon you as you've never seen But until that day comes, you can move your own dirt, fix your own car. That's cool. But you ever want to see the power of God, let's move into this kind of gospel. Let's move into it together. That's a good time for us to eat a burger. I want to pray for you. Is there anything we can pray for you about? I'm not going to lay this all out here. Is there anything that that somebody can lay hands on you right now and pray over you? Is there a way we could go to the Lord on your behalf? It's okay to let others go to Him on your behalf. The gospel says so. Can we pray for you before we dismiss? Let me pray. And then we'll go visit Miss Mary. And uh, let's encourage that lady been through a lot. Let's love on her. Let's buy more burgers and fries, tacos, whatever she's got that we need. Tip big, love on her big. Uh, It's a good thing. God, we thank you for letting us be here. God, we thank you that you are good, that you have ransomed us. We were slaves to sin. We were bound to living by what feels right, not what is right. It got us in some horrible places in our life and some of us are still in those places. But we don't have to stay and we don't have to fight our own way out. Number one, your son fought for us. He suffered for us. So let us us just lay ourselves down and say, I believe that. I receive that. I want that. But then let us move into the everyday life. Let us carry one another's burdens. Let Let us allow others to carry our burdens because I know it requires so much more faith to be vulnerable than it does to be in a position of authority. We need to serve others, Father, uh, but we desperately need to allow others to serve us as well. God, I thank you for everyone here. I pray that somehow, some way, this message about your good news would impact our day and our week. In Jesus' name, amen.